The Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, the second chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called ever living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from the book of Hebrews the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please stand now for the Alleluia in verse.
Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. Pharisees came up and in order to test Jesus asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what do we do in this day about the holy estate of matrimony? What do we deal with in terms of who it is to get married, when it is you shouldn't be married anymore, and all those details. It doesn't take a scientist to figure out something's gone badly wrong in our society with regard to family and to marriage. You know, we are having in our nation a lively debate about the definition of marriage. I mean, and why do so many younger and older people choose to live together rather than to make a commitment and to seek God's blessing in marriage. See, a lot of questions we have, a questions that our nation is grappling with, and it is underneath a lot of the turmoil that we're feeling. After all, why is pornography one of the biggest industries in the world? And why do we treat children in the womb either as a person or not a person? depending or not whether that the mom wants to bring that child to term. Have we reached the point where casual sexual relationships have become wildly regarded as a recreation activity for two or more adults who are willing and consenting? How has this casual approach to sex spread down even into our elementary schools? And why has there been such a huge escalation in divorce? Why are there so few children in so many families that could be blessed with more but deliberately choose not to have them? And why do so many, even in our own churches, 
give tacit approval to some or all of this under a satanic twisting of our Lord's words of judge not. So what is going on? What does the scripture tell us? The serpent asked Eve, did God really say? And that's really the first question that Satan plants in the seeds of uncertainty and doubt before he proceeds to flat-out contradict God's word to you. His tactics haven't changed, have they? That's what happened to Eve. That's what's happening to us today. What's happening to us today as a society is that we've been seduced first into doubt and then into disbelief of God's word. His word about family, about marriage, about children. And all three are special objects of Satan's hate because all three find their foundation in God's will and plan for the human race and to bring us blessing. So many times our world around us says, well, if you just have faith, you're fine. But faith that's based on what? Scripture. That's where we find our basis. That's where we find our guide and our rock, our security. Because in the written word of God, it tells us what is right and what is wrong. The scriptures reveal God's plan for the human family. Marriage and family are not a social construct, something that we dreamed up as a race. We don't get to define them as we choose. As we heard today in the Old Testament reading, marriage wasn't Adam's idea. Marriage was God's idea and his gift. He created the woman to be a helper for the man so that he would not be alone. And he brought to the woman our first father and gave her to him. And Adam received her as a gift. Moses concluded, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the Lord's will, the Lord's plan. Male and female, a man and a woman given to each other, the nucleus of a new family. After all, when two become one, the Lord often delights to give even more delights and even more gifts, the gifts of children. And they are not in the Lord's plan to be thought of as a burden, but a blessing. We heard it today in our intro as we began our worship, that children are a heritage from the Lord. And blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. That's God's plan. But you don't have to read very far in the same scriptures before you see this institution of the Lord given for our benefit and blessing under attack. Polygamy, unfaithfulness, concubines, family dissensions, fights, murder, bloodshed. The pages of scripture are littered with the damage that's been inflicted on the human race by the assault of Satan on the good gift of God 
and by our buying into his lies. And all of that has been going on already for thousands of years when the Pharisees came up to Jesus in our gospel today. They were seeking to trap him, we're told, by drawing on the mess that God's own people had made of marriage. The Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. But Jesus regards even these words of Moses in Deuteronomy that permitted divorce under certain circumstances to be merely a consensus of the hardness of the human heart. He says in response, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So echoes we see in our marriage rites as we have weddings here at the church. We hear those words, God made them male and female, and the two become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, the disciples, though, were struggling with the Lord's adamant insistence that divorce is not the will of God and that it undoes what God himself has done in tying and uniting a man and a woman. And they asked the Lord, in effect, if he really meant it. His words, uncompromising. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You see, divorce and remarriage is simply adultery and contrary to the will of God. There's no wiggle room. You see, Jesus doesn't think about marriage the same way we tend to. Most people know the situations where, if they were honest, they'd say that divorce simply made sense. It's the reasonable thing to do. And why doesn't our Lord get that? And people loved by God grasp to answer that question. I mean, why doesn't Jesus get divorce? Because our God doesn't get giving up. He does not get getting off of relationships. Because that's contrary to his nature. If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The Lord couldn't and wouldn't back off of his promises. They hold and they hold forever. So our Lord Jesus came into the flesh to win a bride for himself, a bride to whom he will be faithful forever. If our problem is a hard heart, God in the flesh, our Lord Jesus, has a tender heart. As God put Adam to sleep and took from his side that which he made woman, so our Lord Jesus sleeps in death on his cross, and his tender heart is pierced. And from that heart flows a fountain of blood and water. Long has the church seen in the water and blood that flow from the pierced heart of our Lord 
a picture of both baptism and the Lord's Supper by which the Holy Spirit tenderly creates the bride of Christ, the church, and brings her to the bridegroom. And that bridegroom, our Jesus, is faithful to us, for his heart is not hard. He is faithful even when we have been faithless to him. Jesus doesn't get divorce. It makes no sense to him because in his heart is a divine love that is simply unwilling to let you go, unwilling to lose you no matter what. If you and I dwell on that a moment, the kind of love that God has for us, that he is not willing to let us go, that he is always going to go out and seek the lamb and bring that lamb home, that he is going to find us wherever we have fallen and lift us up and make us right. You see, his love is a divine love that simply doesn't give up, doesn't get giving up, and will brook no barrier between you and him. And all of this, you see, is pictured in the way that God, not we, not Adam, not our society, how God long ago designated and designed the institution of marriage and the family. You see, God established marriage and family to be an image of his own unfailing commitment to you, his people. So if there is anything in this sad world that can bring hope and a future to counter this mess that we've made of trying to do marriage and family on our own terms, thinking that we somehow know better than God. It is the open heart of Jesus. His open heart mirrors us for the Father and reveals the unfailing love of God, his patient and loving kindness toward us that have no end. So you and I today, we see that marriage is important. It's a bedrock of things that God has established. The love of a husband for his wife, the love of a wife for her husband. This is something holy and precious to God. And so may you and I treat that image that God has made in marriage deliberately and exasperatingly faithful to it because God has said it's important because it is a reflection of his own love to us. So today, as we contemplate all the ways that we have misdescribed, misconstrued, and missed the mark, may we know that God's forgiveness extends to us. He gives us a new start, a new understanding, and a renewed commitment to hold fast to the things that he has made important. So may you and I, in our faith, stick to the scripture, the written word of God, and hold fast to it, because it not only tells us of what God's demands and and plans are, but also promises us a living Savior who
who comes to find us and take us home. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.